So we're going to transition. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 22 this morning, and we're going to talk about, um, thought it was important that we talk about living an authentic Christian life. Um, oftentimes, the, uh, these, we, we have some emotions, right? You all have emotions? Well, there are some emotions that are difficult to deal with. And I think in this season that, we've, that we're in, um, I thought about this for our grads, but really it's, it's everybody, right? We are, we're feeling, I think, some, some difficult um, emotions, sadness, anger, fear. Uh, and so we're going to look at Psalm 22 uh, because I think it's a very, very powerful and applicable um, piece of scripture. We're kicking off a series here uh, this summer on the Psalms. So here's our first one. So let's read. Uh, are we good? Yeah. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, 11 to 14. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning. Lord, we invite you, we invite your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and speak to us this morning. Will you take the words that I have to offer, and would you make them alive in us, would you make them alive in me, that we might have the strength and resolve to walk in the way of Jesus and to experience our full humanity and offer our full humanity back to you, back to those around us. We give you this time, Spirit, to work on us, to carve us up, do some surgery on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're kicking off a series here in the Psalms, um, and I think Psalm 22 is going to be encouraging, and it holds some pretty important truths for our grads and for the rest of us. So we're going to look at some of how do we deal, right? The idea is how do we deal with these difficult emotions of sadness and anger and fear as they show up in our life. The truth is, I think it's sometimes it's difficult to be authentic in church, around church people, because I don't know about you, but I think sometimes I have to have it all together, right? But here's the big secret. I'm going to out all of you. We don't. We don't have it all together. I greatly appreciate the prayer that, that uh, the king's shared with us this morning. We don't have it together. That, is an ugly, that was an ugly reality of what's going on in us. And so often we have learned to hide. Again, the irony was you're all wearing masks, right? You're angry now that I am not. I wish I'd shut up. But uh, we hide behind these masks because we, we, don't, we don't know how to show. We don't know if, if we can show. And so... Um, we, we cover our pain. We, we are inauthentic at times. We try to protect ourselves. 
And um, it ought not to be so. It doesn't have to be so. Especially shouldn't be true of God's people, right? God sent Jesus to defeat the power of sin so that we can be free and authentic. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So as Christians, uh, we have chosen to die to our false self. We have recognized at some point that our, we need to put death to that false self, that facade that we put on, and come to learn to live an authentic self that Jesus invites us to, right? A life of freedom. Like we can, we can be who God says we are, not necessarily who the world says we are, not necessarily who our feelings and our inner desires say we are, but who God says we are. So we want to be, we want to uh, do that. So um, I don't know if you've seen this guy. So we got some yeses. He's hilarious. Hilarious. I don't know his name or anything, but he is in Hamilton and he's messed up. So um, yeah, the word that Jesus used to address people that don't live authentic lives is the word hypocrite. Oftentimes when we hear the word hypocrite, we think of somebody who says one thing and does another, yes. And so, but Jesus kind of defines it a little bit differently. Jesus uses a word that, that, that defines it as being a stage actor, right? A stage actor, of course, is someone who pretends to be someone he or she is not. They play a role. And so Jesus called the religious leaders stage actors because they weren't living authentic lives with God. They were keeping rules, they were memorizing stuff, and they were good at all that, but they didn't know God's heart. They didn't know his character. They weren't being transformed into the image of Jesus. Um, and one of the ways that I think we can be stage actors, I wish you were all dressed up like that, because that would be fun. That would be really fun. Um, if you haven't seen Hamilton, I would suggest it, it's fun. And I'm not one that likes singy stuff, but it was, it was good. Uh, that was free. I didn't get paid for that. Um, so one of the ways that we are stage actors is we can end up hiding our sadness, our anger, and our fear. And uh, sometimes those things rule us. Uh, rather than living with them in a healthy way, I know I, they rule me sometimes. And I, I am learning to grow in this. My wife oftentimes is, is modeling for me what it really looks like, and I'm grateful for that. And I know that I have a ways to go. Um, I don't think I'm the only one here or, or at home. Because um, I want to live a fully human life. I want to embrace life, and I think we all do. Uh, we want to celebrate. You know, it's easier to celebrate the good side of life, and woohoo, our grads! But it's, you know, we don't walk up here with uh, our sin list, and we... You know, we, we're not, we're, we kind of push those things, we hide behind, right? And so we want to be able to learn to integrate those things, right? Because they are realities in our life. Um, so if we want to live that full human experience, um, we need to learn how to, to do that. And so uh, Eugene Peterson shared this, and I think it's helpful. He says, if we wish to develop in the life of faith to maturity in our humanity, and to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift 
to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. Comprehensive and honest. I'm going to point back to that prayer. That prayer was comprehensive and honest. And as I sat there saying yes and amen, some of those yeses and amens were, oh, nuts. Dang, it's right, it's true. I need, I need that not to beat me down in shame, but to recognize it, to pay attention to it, right? This is why we model our congregational prayer. We want to be comprehensive because we skip past the ugly stuff. We skip past the, the stuff that might turn to rejection or fear of rejection. And so David, we see throughout the Psalms, David gets pretty raw. I mean, to the point of telling God to like slaughter the children of his enemy. You know, I'm, I'm not sure God's real kosher with that. Uh, but David does say it. He does share those things. There's some rawness in the Psalms that we can learn from. And I think what we see is David is secure, isn't he? David is secure in what? God's love. He's secure in God's love. He's not afraid that God's going to reject him or or judge him in that moment, he clearly um, is, is secure. So he says these things. Um, and so as we look in the, at, at Psalm 22 today, I think it's important to keep in mind that we have been shaped primarily by our families of origin. I know that's true of me. Most of the ways that I figure out how to deal with these things go right back to my mom and dad, right? Right back there. Um, and also in the, the church as well. And the truth is, some of those ways I've learned have, have misshaped me. They've, they've deformed me. And, and, uh, and there's some other ways, I think, that even spiritually, even at church, we can, we can put together a theology of these issues that is imbalanced, that is inauthentic, underdeveloped. And so uh, we want to we talk about a theology of sadness. And we see that here in Psalm 21. David starts off with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Have you ever found yourself there? Asking God why he left you? Feeling as though he left you? He deserted you? Wondering why you're feeling alone in your pain? Many of us, if not all of us, have been there. And we have a hard time confessing those things. When we're hurt, we don't want to make somebody uncomfortable, right? And I think this is one of the most difficult things to confess in the church is this idea of sadness. Um, because, again, we're supposed to have it all together. We're not supposed to be sad. We're God's people, but if you read the Bible, God's people are oppressed. <laughs> they are sad. They have tons of reasons to be sad. So rather than being happy all the time, and you know, have you ever run into that kind of, hey, yeah, how you doing? Oh, great, I got hit by, uh, you got hit by a bus. Oh, yeah, it's super duper, trust in Jesus. Okay. You're in a full body cast, but you're doing super duper? All right. Yeah, so we don't want to be quite like that, right? We want to be authentic people. Uh, 
I don't know if you guys have seen this. A couple of months ago, a huge old tree fell and crushed the swing set in the Souderton Park. And I remember driving by and going, oh man, oh, I lost a tree and I was on my way somewhere, so I just kept driving. And, um, but as I thought about these emotions in my sermon, I thought, man, that is a picture right there. That is a picture that is powerful. Um, and so what I did is I, I went over and, and I, I was going over to take a, this picture. And, um, and I stood there and I actually started reflecting on this scene. The first time I saw it, I drove, I drove right on by. The second time I went over there and spent some time and I paid attention. And as I stood there, I remembered that stately old tree. And I remembered how much I appreciated over the years the shade that it provided. If you've been to concert Sundays, you've been there when it's sweaty and hot and you are just like, I can't sit out here. And so we would always put our, our, our chairs over underneath the tree over there and it provided shade. The other thing it provided was a swing set. And I got thinking about all three of my boys swinging on that swing set. They'd spent probably collective hours on that swing set over the years. And that majestic tree falls, it crushes that old swing set. And as I, as I stood there, I just thought, what a picture of sadness. What a picture of what, is, what, you know, what once was. And there are a lot of things that make us sad in life if we pay attention to them. Right? We're living through a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. Talking to somebody this morning, you know, hey, how you doing? Doing okay. You know, the, the hardest thing is here. <laughs> the hardest thing is, is kind of doing what we're doing in a different way. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? Isn't it true that we're home, we're, we're, it's just different. It's not right. It's not normal. It's not who we are as a people, right? We've been shaped by different ways, and so this is, this is difficult. Um, and so there's sadness, the pandemic, social unrest, right? Our graduates not, not having prom, not having senior trips, not saying goodbye. Our college grads, Eric comes home for Thanksgiving and all of a sudden he's not going back. He's got to finish online. He's got to go out and get his stuff. I know that's true of numerous people, right? Um, got to finish online. And, and it's just... It's not the way we signed up to, to kind of have these, these epic moments in life. And so um, we want to think about this, this, uh, this issue because it's easy to fly on by, right? I'm 45. I've been hurt in life. I've seen a lot of stuff. And, uh, and, and so it's easy to just say, oh, you know what, guys, just get over it. You know, in the grand scheme, you're, you're going to be fine. It's going to... But there's something injurious, right? We are injured by these things. Our hearts are injured. And that sadness is, is bubbling up and we should pay attention to it. We have to pay attention to it because we will not just blow it off. It'll, it'll affect us, right? And so maybe some have been taught to express sadness um, of any kind growing up um, means that you have some sort of immature faith Many Christians frown upon the idea of carrying sadness and depression and anger um, or, or grief. And uh, I, I actually met uh, a new friend over in the park when I took this picture. 
Um, her name is Shirley Clemens, and I think she's been around here all her life because she said that was true, and she knows you, Eleanor. She loves you, so keep hanging out on the corner there. So Shirley, is, uh, I think she's 82, and um, she actually knows our other dear friend, Cynthia Nestor. And uh, she invited Cynthia to Grief Share, which is uh, a program over at Souter to Mennonite for those who have lost their, their spouses. After, and, and so she invited her, and Cynthia was telling me how much Grief Share had meant to her. Um, but one of the things that Shirley shared with me is that many people judge uh, others on how they deal with their sadness. They judge them. You know, and so the, the pendulum swing is, don't you think it's about time to get over it? What's wrong with you? Get over it! To the other pendulum swing is, how could you possibly be over it? How would you possibly, like, what? Three months and you're already talking to some other guy? What are you thinking? Clearly, you must have a lot of, right? And the truth is we don't do sadness well, and we, we don't, because it makes us uncomfortable. And so what we do is we hide behind our smiley mask, right? I wish you all had smiley masks, but then it's a problem if you're, right? That's the problem we're talking about. But right now it'd be funny. Smiley masks. We hide behind that smiley mask, and sometimes we're judging ourselves. Like, man, maybe they're right. Um, but you know, when we when we face job loss and loss of prom and loss of these things, um, we need to pay attention to those things. We need to to get beyond um, denying and stuffing those things and pretending like they're not there. Because when sadness is not dealt with, you know what it turns into. Take a wild guess. Oftentimes it turns to anger. Very often, sadness turns to anger, bitterness. So we want to live well. We want to live well. So um, we're left with two options when it comes to dealing with our sadness. We can unashamedly see our sadness as a, as a way of being human. This is the reality that I'm facing, right? And I think what we see with David is it helps position us to connect with God in prayer, to be honest with God. If we're secure in his love, this is where we can get, right? Or, like this woman, we can put on a mask. We can pretend we're fine and we can lie our way through life, pretending we're okay. So if the question, you know, obviously, if we want to be authentic, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. And the first question is, um, in this theology of sadness is what is causing me to feel sad? I didn't feel sad when I blew by the, the, the but actually I did. There was something, because I love trees. I love old things like you, that have memories, right? We, we, we cherish those things. Yeah, it's rusty. Yeah, we could have a nice plastic swing set. And what's that? So we want, to, we want to try and learn to pay attention regularly to what is that that's, that's making me feel sad. And we want to learn to take that to God in prayer. Uh, we want to take that to our friends in, in the community of God to help um, discern what, what is it. Like sometimes we don't exactly know. We, we can't dig down far enough to figure it out. Um, so oftentimes when we're sad, and Dave mentioned this, few weeks ago, 
we run to addictions. We run to unhealthy behaviors that try to kind of fill that void or put a band-aid over our sadness. So that's the first question. What's causing me to be sad? The second one I think we need to ask is, what is God saying to me about this issue that's making me sad? It's out of this place that we grow in that self-knowledge and authenticity with God. This is what we see with David, right? He is honest with God here. We need to lift our hearts and our mind to God. So if you're sad, uh, we need to figure out what the issue is and pray that sadness. Talk to Jesus about what, what you're sad about. You know, that doesn't always fix the sadness. It doesn't fix the issue, but there's authenticity happening there. Because, again, if you don't deal with these things, there's a good chance that anger, right? Sadness turns to anger, and we're seeing a lot of that, actually, in our, in our culture today. So let's, I mean, let's look at Jesus. The one who came to show us how to be human. That's why Jesus came. Yes, he came to die. He came to overcome the power of sin and death. But he came to show us what human living was supposed to look like. He's the new Adam. And so when we look at Jesus, we look at that's the way I'm literally supposed to live. A lot of us would say, you know, as we prayed, we got a ways to go. But that's God's intention by the power of the Spirit to change us, to make us so that we are more and more living Jesus' life out, right? And so we want to look at Jesus. And Jesus himself lived a life marked by sadness, so much so that he was known as a man of sorrows. Known as a man of sorrows. Any of you, do, do, do we know of anybody in here? Hey, man of sorrows. No, that's Leon. No, we don't call him that. Man of sorrows. Right? No. But Jesus was known as the man of sorrows. Jesus wept with those who wept. And he, of course, borrowed these very same words, right? He borrowed these same words from David when he was on the cross. Theology of sadness. It's okay to be sad, but we want to pay attention, not just blow right by, right? So we're going to look at a theology of anger. This is the second thing that David teaches us and how to integrate our anger into, the life, into our life with God in a healthy way. Psalm 22, we have the full humanity on display here. What's missing is it's kind of hard to know David's tone because just like you read an email and try to read into it, ooh, that's dangerous, right? Ooh, are they mad? Are they... Actually, that happened to me last night on something like, oh no, are they mad? Are they... Oh boy. But here David, right? We could, we could read David's words as saying, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or we could read it as kind of angry or rageful. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't know exactly how David, I woke like half the group up. I, we don't know why David, you know, what was going on exactly. Um, but we do, we, we don't know that context, but we see how David throughout the Psalms has been emotionally honest, right? We see how David has integrated not just sadness, but anger in here. And so um, when we look at Jesus, we see him embrace his anger. 
You think about Jesus and his interactions in the Gospels, we see how he demonstrates what? Righteous anger. Righteous anger over injustice. He doesn't dehumanize. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't punch somebody. He doesn't pull out a sword or tell Peter to cut off the other ear now and see if he can get his leg. Jesus displays righteous anger. He lives out righteous anger over issues of injustice, right? So um, he, that's, that's one of the things that I see. Jesus still treated people as image bearers. He didn't dehumanize them. He always spoke the truth in love. Even, even to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, he spoke the truth. They didn't want to hear it. But that probably was one of the most loving things that he could have done, was share, you brood of vipers. What? How did... Now, maybe they went away and thought about that. <laughs> yeah, they thought about it, right? But he still spoke the truth in love. Um, so when we're talking about this difficult emotion of anger, it's important for us to, to think about... We want this kind of going back. How did my family do anger growing up? Some of you guys grew up in a, in a home in which anger wasn't really allowed. It wasn't on display. It wasn't obvious. That's the kind of home that I grew up in. I mean, I felt it because I, that's the way, part of my, the way God's wired me. I felt it as a, as a kid, like, ooh, I think they're mad. Or you feel that, that tension that you can cut with a knife. Um, and then others, uh, you know, others, you guys grew up in homes where it was just, wow, right out there, right? Mom, dad, they're upset. They, boom, they tell you, oh, did I lose it? Um, loud shouting, perhaps. Uh, in both of these scenarios, we learn, like I learned to put on a mask. It's not safe for me to be angry or I'm going to get in trouble and then it's going to, and it wasn't safe for me to talk back or, and I, and I didn't do it, wasn't able to do a good job of, of expressing things. And so um, some, we can get caught in those two ways uh, and, and have a hard time, right? We go into survival mode and um, both of those scenarios, whether you keep your mouth shut and go mumbling away like I do, or you fly off the handle and say things that you wish you hadn't, both of those ways are really unhealthy, right? So we wanna integrate, we wanna learn to do this better with anger. David Fitch, um, wait a second. There we are. David Fitch says, righteous anger always leads to something concrete and redemptive. Unrighteous anger hurts and attempts to destroy one's enemy. But in this case, the latter always comes back to bite you and diminish you. And so you cannot lead with this kind of anger or only in anger. Think about the last time you were angry. Think about the last time you were angry. Did it lead to something redemptive? Did it lead to something redemptive? Or did you attack your enemy in anger? Did you dehumanize them with your words, your post, your whatever? Did you diminish yourself in the process? 
Is your theology of anger accurate or is it imbalanced? Have you just gone with your gut, right? Well, there's, uh, there's, there's some complexity to this. And sometimes I think theologically we can, we can mix some things up here because our, our, the Apostle Paul, um, he says, get rid of all anger. We go, okay, I guess I just got to get rid of it. Easy for him to say, but all right, we got to get rid of it. So we might think anger is just, oh, no, we can't, we can't have it. Earlier on, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you have stayed up for like four days straight because of this verse? Well, you can't really because the sun goes down, right? The sun goes down and, oh no, shoot, what time is it? Oh, what time is it officially? Or do we have to, does it really count to like do the last ounce of um, the sun? Can I press it, right? But in Ephesians 4.26, he says, be angry. So it's a little confusing sometimes. Be angry, but do not sin. Uh, because we, so this kind of helps lead to our, our imbalance with anger. Because uh, we can wrongly conclude that any kind of anger is sin. Any kind. And I don't think that's true because Jesus expresses anger, doesn't he? Um, now, the truth is probably 95, maybe 99% of our anger actually is sinful. That's probably true, that most of the time that we're angry, it is probably sinful because it's, it's, it's anger that often has to do with our flesh or our insecurities, our failure. We want to hide our shame, our pride. Or, or perhaps it's something we're thinking about in the future and we're, we're losing control and so we, we try to grab on, we fight to hold on to that illusion of control. But these verses aren't saying don't be angry. They're saying don't be controlled by your anger. Don't be controlled by your anger because anger can be a redemptive gift as well as being a destructive power. So if we don't learn to give ourselves space to kind of experience, to pay attention to what is making us angry, then, then that, difficult, uh, thing, that, that difficult piece of anger is going to overwhelm us. It's going to make a mess, right? So some of you have no problem with expressing your anger. You're pretty good at it, right? I don't have like a list of people. I'm just guessing that some of you grew up in homes where, hey, you just learned to express your anger. So um, God's word to you is um, those of you that, that do express it really easily is you need to pay attention, and really all of us, we need to pay attention to the sadness or fear that is causing that anger. Because those are the two pieces that usually uh, lead us to getting angry. A sadness, which we talked about, and fear, which we will talk about. Um, and it leads to this powerful emotion. So um, we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. Here it is. What is beneath the anger that I'm experiencing? Is it sadness? Go back to what, what could possibly be making me react like this, right? Have you ever done that? You, you, you respond to, you know, Alyssa gives me a dirty look, and all of a sudden I'm like, and then I walk away and go, you know, she's crying and this hasn't really happened, but I overreacted 
I tore into her over something minor. And then you walk and you're like, what in the world? The punishment did not fit the crime there. That's when we need to start asking, what's going on? Because that dirty look that I thought it was, it was never really a dirty look. It was, it was a look, right? So sometimes we overreact. So, so we need to ask, what is being behind or beneath the anger that I'm experiencing? And what is God saying to me in my anger? And this is where we take our anger and we pray it to God, like David did. We take it to God. God, is this righteous anger? And am I angry about what you're angry about? Or am I actually angry about what I want to be angry about? Am I angry at this person for something that they said or did or did? But really, this is about me. Or is this about, is this an issue of, this is injustice and I need to use that anger to, in a healthy, righteous way, to fuel some action, right? I think that's part of what anger, the good side of anger is it, is it ugh, gets us to communicate or it gets us to do something when we're, when we're hurt. Um, and so it's important to note that when we're working through these difficult emotions, um, that this hard work isn't just for us, is it? It isn't just for us. Because when someone is angry or sad, if you haven't learned to get to the bottom of your own anger um, and sadness and been in touch with these things, your fear, and you've learned to take them to God, you'll find it difficult to have love, empathy, and compassion necessary to enter into the sadness and the fear of others, right? You're going to have a hard time being empathetic and compassionate because you've never dealt with your own anger, your own sadness, your own fear. You, you, and so you can't even sit with people in that way. Or you can't sit well. And so we have work that God wants to do on us. We can't, we can't give what we haven't received. And so this anger is kind of on the front porch right now, isn't it? It's on the front porch of the church and society. There's sadness and fear um, that's gone on for, well, for a, forever, but especially it feels like it's extra heavy in this pandemic. It's gone on for a long time. It feels like forever. And many of these, this fear and sadness is turning to anger, and we're seeing it, right? The masks, the filters that, that we've constructed, sometimes we're, we're like, forget it, I'm ripping the mask off, and I'm going to say it. Or the filters that normally would kind of like, oh, no, 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 not going to say it, not going to, it's just, right? And, and we're seeing character showing up. We're seeing things perhaps in ourselves that we're not real happy with, we're not real proud of. And it's an invitation to do some heart work, right? Invitation to do some heart work. The last thing is a theology of fear. Verses 11 to 14, David goes into uh, his fears. We think about David as this mighty fighting man, right? The, the king, the king, and he's going to... But David is fearful. Do not be far from me, for my trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. 
My bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. Friends, David is afraid. David is afraid. But notice he doesn't deny or suppress his fear. Rather, he offers it to the Lord. The reality is life can be scary, right? Life is scary. It's filled with things that we can be anxious about. I am one that uh, does a good job of finding those things, being aware of those things. Part of that is my wiring. See those things that could be threats, and uh, I pay attention to them, sometimes too much. Maybe I'm not alone. Uh, Dan White, White writes in his book, says, The way of fear pushes us to fight insult with insult, aggression with aggression, hate with hate. The way of Jesus teaches us to fight insult with invitation, an invitation to a conversation that might kind of clear the ground. Invitation, aggression, the way of Jesus is aggression with affection, compassion, caring, right? and hate with hospitality. Friends, we know that this is true, that fear is a powerful force. A couple weeks ago, my friend uh, Peter from Johnny and Friends, who Lincoln and I got to sneak up and see uh, Peter and his family and celebrate Cargan's birthday. We were originally supposed to be with them next week, and so there's some sadness there, but we had a good time with them. But, but Peter is fighting stage four colon cancer and uh, working through all of those emotions, and he got some bad news that he can't have surgery, which was devastating to him, devastating news to me. And the reality is, and I, I think, Peter, if you're there, I, I know you might be watching, and I know this is true, that, that it's scary. He's afraid to die. He doesn't know exactly what's ahead. Afraid for his kids, who he loves with all his heart. Afraid for his wife. And I think it's okay to be fearful. How are you not going to be fearful in that situation? Fear is tough to admit, though, especially in the church, because we've heard umpteen times that if we're, right, do not fear. It's in the Bible like 360 times. You could read it every day, a different, a different reference, right? And so if we're afraid, we must lack faith. That's the lie we believe, right? If we're afraid, wow, boy, if I really had faith in God, then I wouldn't fear what I'm facing. And so we jump to this, right? We jump to verses like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we believe, again, that if we have fear, we don't have faith. And if we don't have faith in God, then God finds us unacceptable. And when we stand before him, he's going to be saying words like, uh, I don't know you. Be gone. And I think that's a, an example of some bad theology, some really bad theology. On the surface, it makes sense, but I don't think that's what God is saying here. I think when God says, do not fear, he's saying, don't feel, he's, he's not saying don't feel fear, don't feel fearful over this particular situation coming or potentially coming. What he's saying is don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't allow that fear to control you and, and keep you from moving, right? So what do we do with it? We need to learn to prayerfully ask, take that to the Lord. 
pray and ask the Lord these questions. What is beneath my fear? What future fallout am I afraid of? And, and, and right, maybe it's oh, God's fallen on, off the throne and all of a sudden like, whoa, God, do you know that there's this pandemic? Do you know about the job? Do you know about the, like, the changes that could come? Do you, like, are, you, are you aware, God, of how this has affected me? Right? We need to pay attention to what those, those, that potential future fallout. You know, again, I say I'm really good at fear because I've had 40, like, four, how old am I? 45. I think I'm, am I 45? Yes, thank you. How do I even forget these things? Oh, man, what does that mean? Aubrey, is this like a psychology major sort of thing you might learn about? Oh, boy. So um, now I've totally lost my train of thought, so that's okay. We'll find it. Um, so don't fear. Don't allow it to control you. We want to take that to God. So what's beneath it? Um, what am I afraid of? The second thing is, where are you trying, uh, what are you trying to say to me in my fear? I know what I was going to say. As someone who, who thinks the way I think, think about all the things that could go bad. And it's not because I'm a pessimist. It's just because that's the way I've been wired. So if you, if, you know, if it's something that I know and you're like, hey, what could go wrong? I'm a pretty good person to call. And I think I shared this before. Um, you know, if you ever find yourself stuck in a wood chipper, you're going to want to call an Enneagram 6 because they've thought about this. And they probably have a backpack somewhere in the car and will be right over to bandage your wounds and keep you alive until the paramedics can show up. Because that's how we think. Um, and so we're prepared for those things. So I'm grateful for the way God has wired everybody because uh, I need to be balanced out. Otherwise, whoo, if we were all like me, <laughs> we'd all be, I don't know, looking like that guy sometimes. So, um, what are you trying to say to me in my fear? Maybe it's, Wes, you need to give up this illusion of control that you think you have. Are you aware that you're not in control? And learn to trust me in the face of fear. Jesus shows us how to deal with fear. He experiences fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. When facing his arrest and certain death, what does he do? He prays, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. And nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus experiences sadness and anger and fear, and he shows us that we can get to a point where we can integrate these things and live in an authentic way that doesn't hurt people and harm others. Um, and so do, um, what do we learn is, is the key to living an authentic life? Well, David knew that he was loved by his father. And therefore, he was completely secure to share those emotions with him. Jesus knew that he was loved by his father. And it was okay for him to completely uh, find his security in him and be honest with the father. Friends, you are loved by your father. You're loved by your father. You can be secure in that love that he has for you. And you too can live authentically before God and before each other. And what a beautiful picture of the kingdom that is. A beautiful thought. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help. These, these emotions are difficult, especially in the days that we're in right now. 
And so we ask that you would root out the things that keep us from believing that you love us. We desire to live authentically with you and with each other in ways that do not hurt and harm. We desire to learn to recognize when we're hit with sadness and anger and fear. And like David and Jesus before us, would you teach us to trust in your loving care, the security that you and you alone can provide. We recognize that Jesus, you are Lord today, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, for your, from your care. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.